It's a tremendous conference today. It's so good to see so many of you here. Um, we have the creme de la creme of the panels here today. Paolo did so well that he's staying on, actually, so uh, that's really good. Um, we have Tim, Tim So from Managing Director of Ascension Finance, sitting next to me. George Vicaris, Managing Director of Entrust Global. Harris Antonio, Founder and Managing Director of Neptune Maritime Leasing. And Paolo Almeida, CIO of Tafton Investment Management Limited. So we're discussing, uh, we're discussing a lot about asset finance, but also a bit of project finance in this session. Um, and, and the guys here that are representing what we traditionally used to call the uh, alternative finance institutions, I think are part of what we now call the core financing institutions. Um, so we wanted to start with a little bit about what they're doing at the moment, what they're seeing, um, what their target assets are, what's keeping you busy these days, perhaps with a particular focus on assets, but also if there are opportunities uh, in the more sort of project, uh, project finance area, what are you seeing there as well? Do you want to start, Tim? Mm. Thank you, Tora. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Ascension Finance is a senior secured first lien debt provider. Our loans are structured to resemble uh, banking loans in terms of documentation and structuring, but we offer more flexibility when it comes to factors such as age, uh, recourse, and employment. Typically, we work with small and medium ship owners financing assets such as tankers, containers, uh, dry bulk. The typical LTVs are between 60 to 70%, but that can vary depending on where we are in the cycle. And we have deployed $225 million over the last 18 months. And all of that has been structured in the, is either asset finance or, or project finance. George? Yes. Well, thank you for, for hosting us. And thank you to Capital Link. So Entrust started seven years ago to take advantage of the pullback of capital. Entrust has now evolved since then to take advantage of what is shipping, and that is different opportunities across different sectors. When we started container ships, dry bulk were the immediate investments we were looking at. Now, if you look at what the Entrust shipping franchise has done since then, we've hired a full team, 15 focused maritime investment professionals based in New York, London, Amsterdam, Paris, and Tel Aviv. We've invested almost $4 billion across 70 transactions. And that has been across all ocean-going businesses. So we have a pocket of capital that's focused on environmentally advanced technologies. But the bread and butter of what Entrust is, is the blue ocean business. And that is finding opportunities, in whether it's credit or equities, and once we have conviction, we move aggressively into those opportunities. So seven years ago, it was credit. Clearly, there was a pullback of the banking system. Two years ago, there was the COVID dislocation on valuations. And then when values came back and rates were essentially zero, we thought it was a good time to shift into the equity side of things. Now, things have gotten a little frothy in the traditional shipping markets, but we're looking at other sectors. So the main takeaway here is we could weave in and out. We're not restricted by any type of asset or any other requirements. It's just what is a good investment? 
let's take a look. Thanks, George. Harris? Thank you, Dora. Good to see everyone. Um, we established Neptune Maritime Leasing about a uh, couple of years ago, in fact, less than two years ago, uh, to provide exactly what the name says, uh, leasing for uh, shipping companies. Uh, instead of focusing on only the corporate world, which is what most of the banking sector is doing today, we decided to pursue more of an asset-based or project uh, finance approach, which is what used to be the mainstream shipping business many years ago. So I would consider us still doing what is called mainstream, so financing the asset, financing the owner. Uh, we are agnostic to the sector. We do uh, uh, container ships, dry and wet. And uh, we are flexible as far as the leverage is concerned. We can go between you know, 50 to 90% depending on conditions, employment, etc. And of course, you know, the higher the leverage, the higher the cost is going to be, but that's something to be expected because it replaces equity, which is, in fact, much more expensive. We have a team which is uh, very seasoned uh, with offices in Greece, in Switzerland, and in, uh, in the Netherlands. And we cover mostly Europe, as well as the other side of the Atlantic for some of our clients. Thank you. Thank you very much. Paolo? Uh, thanks. Thanks, Dora. We, we at Tufton are, are um, we're not very active in the... Um, um, in the straight debt markets. We are a user of finance from uh, currently just banks, but they are banks which um, are focused on uh, project finance and probably six or seven years ago would not have appeared in the top 20 um, lenders, but may, um, may now, or at least in terms of flow, if not um, total portfolios. Um, but we also, in terms of uh, quasi-asset finance, we do, we have probably a few hundred million dollars of sale-leaseback transactions, um, most of which we, um, most of the equity going into those is on an unlevered basis, so we, we have um, unlevered investments and assets which then may have purchase options, um, some have purchase obligations, um, we can highly structure those. They tend to be five to ten years um, in length, generally, uh, generally bare boats, um, and often with smaller owners, although we also do have some with, with some of the large container ships. But we've done quite a lot of business in more niche, niche assets where the ship owners may have COAs or onward charters, and we, have, we believe that they're a good credit that are misunderstood. So while we're, we um, you know, are not a uh, competing financier with my peers on the table, we're both a user of this sort of finance, but also sometimes uh, overlap in terms of sale leasebacks rather than other types of refinancing. So it's a pretty interesting panel. Thank you. Thanks very much. Um, I, I would like to start from, I think, what you said last, Paolo. I, it sounds extremely comprehensive uh, in terms of what all of you cover, extremely diversified. Um, and of course, that's what makes it really interesting. Um, I also heard the word mainstream, and it's quite interesting that what used to be so alternative seems to have become main, comprehensive, and mainstream. Um, 
where where do you think um, where do you think this is going? I mean, traditionally, perhaps because of the movement that we had a few years ago with the, with the equity coming in, uh, people would think of of the organisations that you represent as sort of you know here to stay for only a short time. People who provide capital, perhaps you know, in more expensive terms. But now today, I'm hearing mainstream, comprehensive, and main. So. What has happened, and where do you see this going uh, from from your respective corners? I suppose, Tim. Sure. I think when you compare alternative finance to something else, it's important to have a a fair benchmarking. So, at least with Ascension, we don't try to compete with supportive local banks who are still willing to lend at soft surplus two percent. I think if you're a ship owner who's lucky enough to have that level of support, then take that take those loans as long as you can until that, that appetite runs out. So then the question then becomes, what exactly are you paying that slightly higher margin for? And at least situations that we have is where you no longer have access to your local bank for whatever reason, because they've exited the market or because they've realigned on their target market. Um, you have assets that are now too old to be financed by your traditional bank, especially if that bank has signed up to Poseidon or some other um, codified ESG policy that prevents them from being able to finance that, or increasingly in an S&P market where there aren't very high quality vessels relative to the number of buyers who want them, where you are hoping for speed of execution and the priority is getting those funds in to essentially allow you to purchase that vessel. And I think in those instances, um, like Harris said, partly you're replacing equity but also you're paying for speed and you're paying for availability of capital that you don't have access to. And I think that's the true comparison rather than comparing us to the pricing that you would get from a relationship bank. I mean, sli slightly different products in terms of what you offer, Harris, but where are, where are the strengths, the witnesses? Uh, is it the same with what Tim said? or? I um, Recently, I read a, an interview from one uh, very well-known uh, Greek but international ship owner, Thanasius Martinos. And in fact, I read that he said that he's concerned uh, because of the lack of new ship owners coming into the, uh, into the market. Um, and the reason for that is uh, twofold. One is that the uh, conditions for setting up a new company have become more complicated because of regulation, mostly. Uh, but also because of the retrenchment of the traditional uh, financiers, capital providers to the industry. Uh, but if you look at the statistics, you'll see that 60% of the existing fleet is owned by what we call small and medium enterprises globally. So we have the majority of the capital chasing the 40% of the fleet, whereas the 60% has remained a little bit unattended. Uh, with exceptions, of course, because I have to say that Greek banks have done a tremendous job in supporting the local clients. But when you look at the international market, this is not the case. So I think what we all do here, and, and also from a Lesor's perspective, is that we are here really acting as the sort of venture capitalists of the industry, if you will, who are here to support uh, the younger, up-and-coming, uh, aspirational type of owners that need capital to achieve their, uh, their goals, basically. And because we're here to provide money to smaller companies, and because we're willing to go the extra mile by providing you know, more leverage, uh, more flexibility, quick decision-making, I think we're making a dent. And, and I think that's why what 
you used to call it alternative capital, is not so alternative anymore. It's becoming mainstream. So we're here to stay, I think. Yeah, it's more of a sort of permanent, uh, you know, dent in rather than a, a little sort of penetrating one. Uh, George, is it the same on your side? And particularly if we consider and contrast what I would call, on the one hand, pure asset finance um, versus sort of more project-based finance? So, so it goes without saying that the collateral or vessel that we're investing in is the first thing that matters, but the reality is We've, I've worked at least with some pretty bad managers, and it doesn't matter what you give them, they're going to lose money. But for the most part, thankfully, we've worked with some really great managers. And when you talk about what Harris was mentioning, building a partnership, helping support growth, that is what we offer here. We expect the same investment from our counterparties in their business as we have put in ours. I mentioned 15 hires. That's not a small feat considering what has happened over the last 15 years in the maritime finance space. We've invested in hiring that talent because we think there is room to grow and because our counterparties have shown that if we give the same support to them, they'll do the same thing back to us. And that has helped our business grow to where it is today. Thank you. And Paolo, I mean, you were talking earlier about sort of the different base and the way you raise money. Does that have an impact on what you guys offer? Um, is it is it a sort of different way of doing business? Does it determine how you move around and what you're able to do? So al although um, our activity in in sort of project finance is is a little bit limited, um, the strength that we do have. Um, well, this is not different from <clears throat> any anyone else here at the table, but it does differentiate us from some of the um, multi-line credit investors who were act less active in shipping today, um, but were very active um, six, seven, six, seven years ago. One is that we understand um, the industry very well, um, and all of the different partners tend to have specialization or a lot of more relationships in certain segments or in certain geographies than others because of the in the clients that we had as commercial bankers or investment bankers in the past. Um, although we use it selectively, one of the strengths that we do have is because most of our capital comes from very large um, pension funds we can from time to time write a 100 million or 150 million or 200 million dollar check um, and we can do that very quickly when we want to and you know we've done that two or three times in the past few years when the right deal um, comes along um, that's an area that that we think because the trust that our investors have in us and when we find the right deal that is an advantage that we do have. Thanks very much. Um, changing course slightly, perhaps, although not really, because we've heard about green um, as opposed to red, I suppose, uh, for the whole day. Tim, um, I picked up something you said earlier, and I found it really interesting what you said about um, being more flexible and being able to maneuver more easily uh, when you compare yourself to an organization that perhaps has to abide more strictly with regulatory requirements, but also with 
um, frameworks like Poseidon and so on, what is the impact of green uh, in terms of the capital, first of all? And then how do you see this changing? What's happening you know, over the next few years? I think, I mean, the interesting point on green is that it's people make an assumption if you're not a signatory to Poseidon that you don't care about ESG aspects in your financing. But just purely on a credit story basis, a more efficient ship is going to be worth more when the loan matures. It's going to be more desirable to uh, customers when the loan is there, so it'll generate more cash flow. So I care about the environmental credentials of a vessel, even if I, I'm not a signatory to a particular part of it. And I think that's an important thing to remember when there's an assumption potentially that alternative lenders are out there financing all E-rated CAI type of vessels that are 25 years old, which is not the case at all. I think there's also, it's difficult at the moment because we allow lenders to self-certify what they count as green. Mm -hmm. And increasingly as what we count as transition and decarbonization gets wider and wider, I think it's going to be tougher to understand what is truly green. So if I was to finance a derated CII vessel to get it to sea, that is making that vessel more environmentally friendly. But I think if I was to call that green financing, people would probably get quite annoyed. And then if I try to sell an investor that I should get cheaper capital to do that, they would also probably say that's not truly green. So I think there is some work to be done from a framework perspective to make sure that everyone's talking the same language. Um, but I think even until we get there, there is definitely still a green element to all credit decisions because it does ultimately make loans safer if you are financing a more efficient vessel. And many, many interesting points uh, from a legal point of view as well. Perhaps we can come back to that in a minute. Um, George, you mentioned environmentally advanced technologies earlier. Um, when you're financing those, does that mean there's more capital? Is it cheaper capital? Is it all of the above? Um, how is it in your, uh, from your side? Look, I, I think to take a step back here, I, I very much agree with Timothy said about looking about what are you investing in, but it's somewhat of a contradiction from the blue ocean business. We are not by any means restricted by any ESG requirements, maybe a benefit in being based in New York and having a lot of US capital behind us. But what gets me excited is the opportunity here. So there is a lot of capital needed to advance this fleet. And that's, we're talking about a long-term business here. This isn't going to happen over the next five years. This is going to happen over the next 25 years. So there is a need for capital in shipping perpetually, at least hopefully until I die. So this is something that we see as an opportunity to help the industry move forward. Now, we have different pockets of capital with where we focus more so on the ESG business. There is a company called Purist Marine based in London that Entrust is the sponsor of that strictly focuses on that technology. But it doesn't mean the team in New York, the, the dirty team, um, is not going to look at these opportunities as well. I think there is a tighter return requirement and that you have to match the capital with that and that's something that we do every day. So it, it's about matching the capital with the opportunity, yes. Fantastic, and how about you, Harris? Well, 
we don't call it blue ocean, we call it green ocean, I suppose. But uh, we, um, we uh, tend to focus more on the transition, transition because if you look at you know, a 10 to 20 year horizon, as Martin Stopford said earlier, of course we're going to see a massive you know, switch to new technologies, which hopefully going to be there in you know, five to 10 years from now. But what do you do in between? Because the, the goal here is to keep the, the world's goods flowing and support the global economy. And, and shipping does exactly that. So we need to help shipping support the global economy. And we can do that only if we continue funding the existing fleet and help it go through the transition period. So we are actively involved in funding retrofits, for example. That has been part of our strategy from day one. And of course, we are eagerly looking at projects with uh, more uh, environmentally friendly vessels, eco-engines, and uh, you know everything else that is available today, including dual fuel, um, number one. Number two, we've also looked at uh, uh, fuel availability. And we have been in discussions with various uh, fuel producers around the, world, around the world, because the real issue here is that it's actually very nice to talk about dual fuel shipping, but with the exception of LNG, the, the other two widely discussed fuels, ammonia and methanol, are still in short supply. So you see the large owners that have you know, moved to order uh, dual fuel ships like methanol ships like Maersk, for example, did, are scrambling to make sure that they get access to fuel. And I think the next playground, which is going to be very interesting, is you know, who is in control of this greener fuel. And I think this is probably where the discussion is going to move going forward. And I also wanted to make a last comment, sorry to take up the time, but it's, you know, now we're looking at the owners always to, to take responsibility for a massive transition. And I think everybody needs to share that, uh, that responsibility, including the charters, as well as port authorities, for example. Because ports, as we saw in the last container crisis, are not sort of excellently organized. I mean, ships were waiting for 50 and 60 days. If you look at the new regulations, you know, this is you know, highly detrimental to your rating if you, if you wait in port. So, and, and that's not the responsibility of the ship owner. Why would the ship owner actually be taxed one way or the other or through a carbon tax or otherwise for uh, events that are totally be, be, besides their control? So anyway, lots to talk about, but you know, I think the future is interesting and we're here to, to explore it. I think what you're saying is, is fascinating. Um, we have started um, we have started only a couple of weeks ago an, a new initiative uh, with the GMF uh, that is called the Blue Visby, um, and it's very relevant because I think I mean what is clear and what I'm hearing is that we're not going to make it in terms of the fleet renewal um, unless we deploy the capital. A lot of other things happen. We use alternative fuel and all of that. Um, definitely not in 10 years because we don't have the right fleet at the moment and the new buildings coming through, but also that operationally there are a lot of things that need to be combined in order, in order for this to work. Um, and I think all the financiers will have a very big role to play, even sort of to support initiatives like that, that when it comes to operations, you support the people who are you know, playing well or, or playing better, let's put it that way, in terms of, in terms of getting us there. Um, Paolo, is there, is there any particular restriction that you're faced with when you're raising your funds in terms of, you know, because you mentioned the pension funds, um, and that is a, a bit of a different world in terms of what requirements they are and what they're looking at in terms of, you know, your investments is a bit different for you or it's similar challenges there? No, I, th I think um, I wanted to go back to something that, you know, George mentioned, 
um, which, which was it, it, the key, a key aspect is to match the capital to the um, opportunity. And there is capital out there, and a lot of it is from pension funds, um, whether it's ultimately in, in, in credit or in uh, unlevered investments, because a lot of pension funds invest in real estate on an unlevered basis and therefore do the same um, uh, in, in shipping. But they will, they do tend to have lower return requirements for um, uh, assets that do have a participation in, um, in decarbonization. So to, to, and then what Harry, Harry said as well is there's plenty that we can do um, on vessels already on the water in terms of uh, retrofits. So we've been, we've been doing um, both, both of those things. Most of, most of the vessels that we have, we bought, invested in secondhand. We, we are, our portfolio is probably about it, one-fifth uh, one new builds. Um, all of those vessels um, are 2013, 2016, um, you know, what was considered eco um, at the time. Nonetheless, we've been putting more money into them to save um, fuel. We're, we're retrofitting wind rotors um, on one of our vessels that's on long-term charter to a, um, a one of the big grain traders. So. It, there is no specific restriction as such other than the, uh, pension funds especially um, and some, some of the uh, European long-only investors want to see comprehensive um, policies and targets around decarbonization. Not only crew, crew welfare, as I mentioned before as well, but, but decarbonization is, is the... Um, is the is the key one, and and the way that we do that in the private um, uh, space is through a framework called the PRI, which is the Principles of Responsible Investing, um, which we joined up about four, actually nearly five years ago, now, and we we've, we've been trying to build within the infrastructure um, team there actually a sub team for transportation, not only for shipping but other other segments. So currently that, uh, in effect, UN body um, doesn't even have a transportation team focusing on, on responsible investing, which we've been trying to, we've been trying to form. And that's something that's highly appreciated by, by our clients and transparency as well. Yeah, I mean, it was mentioned earlier as well. I think there's a very big issue there um, that potentially could have implications on eventually who's able to deal to do deals or not. Because if you don't have a transparent framework, and if also, as Tim said, you're relying so much on self-certification, both on the owner side but also on the financial institution side, I think you end up on a on a sort of completely uneven and all level playing field. So it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult sort of world to navigate. Um, so plenty to talk about, as Harry said. Uh, perhaps moving away uh, from the green, as we are in a new year, looking forward. Uh, maybe not on the green side, but overall, um, I'll start with George, because I know he was very keen to go on first when we were having our discussions about this. Um, what do you see as your biggest challenge and your biggest opportunity in the new year, George? 
managing growth is an important part of any business once you get past that exciting initial phase. And it's no different from the investment side as it is from the shipping side. We have, I've mentioned the, the size we've gone to, I think it's easier to leverage existing relationships and find attractive opportunities when you're smaller. But as you get bigger, how do you shift your business? And that's something that the team discusses on a daily basis. It's um, it, it, it's how do how do we how do we maintain this entrepreneurial spirit without that and not limit our growth. So I think uh, ultimately we're talking about trillion dollar industry, but really it's a people business, and it's maintaining relationships. And when doing diligence for new on building new relationships, it's asking around. It's not jumping the gun. It's making sure you stick true to your requirements. And that may mean not having the best quarter or the best year, but I think the benefit of being a private company is you can be a little more patient. So that, that's where we stand right now as far as the actual markets. Um, again, managing growth, it's tied to, it was, I guess, easy to get into dry bulk container ships and tankers three, four, or five years ago. Now, if you look at the valuations, it's not as easy. So we just have to be mindful of that, stick with the fundamentals, continue discussing things with our ship owner partners because they know the market better than us. And hopefully through all that discussion, we could at least have a better chance of good investment versus a bad investment. Thanks, George. Is it, is it similar concerns for you, Tim, or perhaps slightly different? No, I think there's definitely there's been a pickup in requests for financing on the S&P side. Um, we're getting a lot of inbounds at the moment with people interested in buying product tankers especially. I think there's generally a sentiment there's, a, there's up to 18 months of juice still in that particular segment. But ultimately, at some point, the asset prices, if the demand keeps up, will get to a level that's unsustainable relative to the cash flows that vessel can then create. And the challenge then is the same as the opportunity, is that how do you know when that point has been reached and when do you need to um, take your foot off the tanker side? And I think similarly, there's sentiment that at some point people want to buy the dip on dry bulk and that asset prices will fall off eventually and you'll be able to get yourself a good bargain. And then the, the question then becomes, if someone wants to buy the asset because it's cheap, but the cash flows aren't quite there yet, how do you sensibly support owners who are um, looking to, to make that investment a bit early while also making sure that you don't overstretch yourself from a, a cash flow perspective. And I think that's increasingly an issue relative also to the speed of what S&P transactions are doing now. So there is a lack of good ships. And so owners need a, a response within a month, which we are generally able to do in terms of essentially finishing documentation. And, um, and so being there to be able to finance that purchase but when you're moving at that speed, there's a lot of things that need to be covered off from both a credit analysis and then documentation perspective. So yeah, those are all both opportunities and challenges. Thanks very much. And Harris, is uh, volatility of the markets a challenge? It seems to be a, a constant theme. Well, it's a theme definitely, uh, especially when uh, we as Lesors and not as a bank 
we take up more uh, of the risk associated with the asset because we are at a sort of higher leverage. So you need to time it right, I suppose. Um, as um, uh, Tim said, you know, tanker market is pretty kind of frothy right now. Um, and, uh, you know, what's going to happen with the container market? There's tremendous volatility there. I recall one of our first uh, deals was a container ship that was valued at 20 million. At the peak was 65, and now it's down to 15. So, and this all happened in the space of, you know, two years. So, so there is tremendous volatility in our markets, and, and that's why it takes, you know, obviously experience uh, to deal with it. And it takes something else, which is uh, sort of a longer-term view. And that's why we structured a Neptune leasing as a company and not as a fund. Because typically, you know, what we see, and this is happening right now in the markets, because we see a couple of efforts to, uh, to sell some of our, uh, you know, uh, counterparties, fellow competitors, whatever you want to call it. It seems to me that, you know, when funds reach the end of their lifespan, there has to be some sort of a liquidation event. And that creates, obviously, you know, a, a moment of uh, you know, decision-making for owners, for clients, et cetera, et cetera. So we structured Neptune Leasing as a company. We then we have a longer lifespan, if you will, and that helps us in, in navigating through the cyclicalities of the market that we think. And when you ask me about the challenges, I think the challenge would be how to navigate the, the transition and help the owners navigate through it, actually. And that's, that's what we're focusing on right now. Great, thank you. And Paolo? Um, <clears throat> I think that this year, um, no, it, I totally agree with, with Harris that the probably the key um, area for all of us, not necessarily this year, but, but it's certainly important this year, is, um, is navigating the energy um, uh, transition. Um, this year, and to some extent, um, uh, uh, 2022 um, uh, as well, Although it's a little a little bit different now, is it's less clear, given macroeconomic and geopolitical um, volatility, where the very compelling um, investment opportunities are today, other than in the long term for energy transition and just in general, because shipping is a Industry that's been around for four thousand years and will will maybe not for another four thousand years, but at least is a lot longer than any of us will be in the business. Shipping will continue to be very important to sustain the world economy. Is um, other than perhaps stainless steel chemical tankers, um, which uh, perform generally with high correlation with product tankers where values have come up a lot, yet chemical tankers have come up much less so. Um, the container ship industry is anyone's guess, whether it's, it may recover in the next couple of quarters or next couple of years or maybe even longer than that. Um, bulkers seem um, probably about fairly valued, um, given where, where, where the rate curve is today, clearly if you're very bullish on uh, demand recovery, you would uh, be putting a lot of money into bulkers, and some people are, as we heard from Gigo in the previous panel. And in tankers, the near-term opportunities are are uh, great. Um, some of them may be a little bit more difficult to access, um, but also the values aren't particularly 
um, aren't particularly low, whereas six or seven years ago, you had nearly all of shipping trading at significant discounts to depreciated replacement costs, a good supply side outlook, um, and, but low valuations. So we don't have that anymore today, bar perhaps um, chemical tankers, where you have a very good supply outlook, very few ships coming in the next two or three years, and low valuation and um, strong demand. We don't have that combination in any, any other sector today. So I think that um, we need to stay disciplined. Discipline uh, for the next year. Let's see how that goes in shipping uh, before Nicola starts jumping up and down and finish off. Um, if you had to choose one thing that you think is perhaps going to make the year rather than break it for each of you, that makes your organization unique or something that you can offer that shows more flexibility to your customers, what would that be? So I think we, we want to support owners in the S&P process as much as possible. So we have been rolling out uh, the concept of short-term financing and also hunting licenses, just to give you certainty of funds as you enter the, the bidding process. So I think the success of that will be really important for us. And George? There's no limitation on what we could do. If it's a good investment, we could find the money to put it to work, but it has to be something that I myself would be comfortable investing in. We're not here to put a lot of volume together. It's about doing the right thing for our investors. Uh, we um, would like to um, tap on the two you know, issues that I think are high on the agenda of uh, owners that want to do projects, and that's speed and, uh, and uh, predictability. So th this is really what we are focusing on right now. And we have the aspiration of growing significantly our portfolios uh, going forward. So um, as my colleagues here said, there's, there's capital to be deployed, and we're happy to discuss projects with you. Paolo. Um, we're a little bit different in that um, we consider our, our main customers, our, essentially our only customers, our uh, investors, um, pension funds, et cetera. Um, so they and, and our own money that is in all of um, our deals is, is the customer that we're um, trying to satisfy. Um, although clearly in doing so, we're satisfying a lot of good charterers out there that we that we deal with, um, who are also ship owners generally. They're not just pure um, pure charterers. What we'd like to do um, this year for both sides, but primarily for um, our pension funds, is to uh, structure a few transactions, um, dual fuel new builds, good charterers, and put several hundred million dollars to work to the benefit of everyone and also to the benefit of decarbonization for the industry in general. Thank you. Well, with 20 seconds to spare and with an elevated pitch by each of them that they, were, they didn't know about, I think we did pretty well. Thank you. Thank you, Link, for hosting us. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.